Lord Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we magnify you. God, we are here to exalt you, Lord Jesus, in our worship, in the teaching, in the fellowship, from the sound booth to the drum shield, to security. Let us honor and glorify you, Lord. We love you. Lord, feed us this morning as we study your word. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and Mr. Paul Dobeck will bring you a Bible. All right. Great to see everyone. Great to see everyone this morning. Hey, so this coming Wednesday, movie night. We're taking a break from, if you haven't figured it out by now, on Sunday mornings uh, at Calvary Chapel, we go through the New Testament, and then on Wednesday nights, we go through the Old Testament. Because we believe all Scripture is inspired by God, and we want to grow and learn in our faith, and we're uh, super excited. But this coming Wednesday, we're going to take a break, and we're going to watch the documentary Jesus Music. So I just want to encourage you guys to come out on Wednesday night and watch it, and we'll also show a preview to the movie at the close of my teaching so if you would, please turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew. There's a little feedback behind me, E. Not much, but things coming out of these speakers. Matthew chapter 2. Let's, um, this morning we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12. So let's first, let's read the passage of Scripture, and then we'll dive into it uh, verse by verse. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief Priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this was what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, thank you for these 12 verses that we're going to look closely at this morning. Teach us, Lord, from your word. Holy Spirit, use this time now to equip us build us up, even open our hearts and strengthen our hearts in grace and truth and the light that is in you, Lord Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor David just read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And you're thinking, 
man, what is this, a Christmas message? And I'm here to tell you, this is not a Christmas message this morning. You know, Christmas messages center around the manger, the animals, the wise men, shepherds, Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus. But my emphasis this morning is not presenting this as a Christmas message, but the title of my message is Light and Darkness. Light and Darkness. That is the title of my teaching that I'm going to pull from this passage. Because really you have three, three main people, persons in this passage that we're looking at. First off, you have the Lord Jesus Christ. You have God. And then you have the Magi, and then you have Herod. Okay, a lot of people, when they study Matthew chapter 2, they skip over Herod, and they have no clue about who Herod was or what he was. But I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to dig deep into the history of Herod this morning and next week. And what I want you to see is you have God in the passage, and then you have two responses, light and darkness. And I pray this morning that God strengthens our hearts in grace and truth as we walk in his light. And maybe by chance there's one person here that's, that, that's not walking in the light. I'm praying this morning that you will see the light of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will step into this light. This is an amazing passage. I'm going to give you a thesis. This is the thesis of my message this morning, of my teaching these 12 verses. And it is this. If you believe and trust in Christ you are living in the light. It's that simple. If you believe and trust in Christ, friends and family, you are walking in the light. However, if you ignore, reject, or do not trust in Christ, you are in darkness. And Christ invites you to step out of the darkness into his beautiful, glorious light. And let me tell you something, it's amazing. There's no place I would rather be. So y'all ready to dive into it this morning? Matthew chapter 2, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, I can't just skim over this passage You need to know the historical background. As Matthew wrote this letter to the Jewish believers there in the first century, as soon as he said this first verse, now in the days of Herod the king, that would have grabbed their attention. That would have grabbed their attention like, whoa, Herod the king, that dude, we know him. He was a really, really bad guy. Now, and what we need to understand here is 2,000 years later is Without a right understanding of the Herodian family, you can't rightly understand the hostility that Christianity faced in the first century. It began with Jesus' birth, and it went all the way to Acts chapter 26, when when Paul stands before Herod Agrippa II before he is sent to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. This Herodian family, man, they were a thorn in the side of Christianity. They were a thorn in the side of light. They were a thorn in the side of truth. I'm just going to have a list for you. Herod the Great, who, who, who we're talking about in verse 1, this says Herod the King. This is Herod the Great. And we learn later on in this passage that Herod the Great will order the execution of all male babies in Bethlehem under two years of old. Okay, Herod the Great's son, his name is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas 
We'll have John the Baptist beheaded after John calls him out for his sexual immorality. Herod Antipas will also mock and try Jesus before his crucifixion. It just runs right through the bloodline, family. It's just one after another. Uh, Herod the Great's grandson is Herod Agrippa I. Herod Agrippa I, he will persecute the church in Acts chapter 12. He will put James to death and he will imprison Peter. It doesn't stop there. Herod the Great's great-grandson at the end of the book of Acts, which is Herod Agrippa II, he will stand in judgment of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapters 26 before he is eventually sent to Rome to stand trial before Caesar because Paul claims his Roman citizenship and he goes and stands before Caesar. And what you need to understand is, uh, I believe I counted it this week, I don't have it written down, but I believe in in Matthew chapter 2, Herod is referenced 21 times. He's referenced 21 times. That, that, the scripture, the word of God puts a great emphasis on his name. And what you need to understand is the family of Herod is a picture of the world's opposition to Jesus Christ and Christianity. For 50 plus years, they heard and witnessed the Magi, Jesus, Peter, James, and Paul but they all ignored their message. They all ignored the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They saw these people, man. You know, a lot of times we like to say, man, if I, if I was only there, if I only could just see it with my own eyes, really? These people saw it with their own eyes, and they didn't believe. And the same can be said today in our world here 2,000 years later. This is living in darkness when you hear the message of Christ, when you hear the Bible and you hear the good news of Jesus, to then reject it, ignore it, or not trust in Christ, you're doing the exact same thing of walking in darkness. Man, when we hear God's word, when we hear the glorious, beautiful, good news of Jesus, friends and family, open your heart. He loves you. He cares for you. He died for you. He, he wants to be your God. But when we reject it, that's walking in darkness. Let's open our hearts to him and walk in the light. So you have Herod the, Herod the king here in, in chapter 2, verse 1. But we also have a second group of people. The second group of people is called the Magi. The Magi, some of your translations say wise men. They were called wise men because they were experts in science, mathematics, history, politics, religion, and the movement of the planet and stars. These were an elite class of men. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they would have caught everyone's attention with their pomp and show, long cone-shaped hats like those associated with wizards, most likely uh, not on camels, but most likely on Persian Arabian horses. How did they know? How did the Magi know about the Jewish prophecy and the coming Messiah? I present to you the same way that we learn about Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The Greek historian Herodias writes that the Magi were a class of priests from Babylon. And Matthew says, these are guys from the east. Listen to Daniel 2.48. Daniel 2.48 gives us a little insight. It says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. 
This tells us where they got their information. This tells us where they learned. Daniel, our Daniel in the Old Testament, had been over this elite class of men. No doubt in Babylon, they studied Daniel's prophecies. They knew a kingdom was coming. These magi were coming to see and worship what their ancient prefect, Daniel, had prophesied. They had one mission. What is the mission in um, verse 2? To worship king of the Jews. There was no distance too far to travel. They were going to let nothing stand in their way. They were coming to bow and worship Jesus. You ready for this? This is walking in the light. Okay? Herod and his cronies fighting against Christianity. I think, he, I, think I read where he, he had 10 or 11 wives in his lifetime, had two murdered, had three of his sons killed because they wouldn't follow his diabolical plans. He was walking in darkness. These men, and you and I, when we follow Christ, we're walking in the light. You're walking in the truth. This is living in the light today, too. Studying the scriptures that lead us to God. Pursuing Christ. Following Christ. Here it is, get family. The Magi studied the scriptures and they found Christ. When you and I today study the scriptures, you will find Christ in all his fullness. Nothing's changed. We're looking up at the same sun and the same night sky that they looked at. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. To walk in darkness is to reject Christ. To walk in light is to, is to follow him, to love him, to serve him. He's an amazing, awesome God. Let's continue. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. You see, Herod the Great cared about one thing in this life. He is, he is well documented. You, you could find volumes and volumes of books written on the Herodian family. But if, if you study Herod the Great, biblical history and secular history testify to one thing. He cared about one thing, his reputation. So what he did is he had, he had built monuments all across Israel so that people could know his name. These are some of the things that Herod the Great of Matthew chapter 2 built. Some of them are still standing today. The first one on the left, anybody recognize that? That's called Masada. That was Herod the Great's winter vacation place there on a plateau overlooking the Dead Sea. It is still there to this day, the ruins of Masada. Also, Masada is where in 73 AD, when, when Jerusalem had been, at, the Romans came in and wiped out uh, Jerusalem, thousands of Jews left Jerusalem and they went to Masada. They went on top of that hill. It was their last fight and stand. And once they realized that they had no chance and that Titus and the Romans were going to take them over, you know what they did? They committed suicide. They said, we will die at our own hands rather than die at the hands of Herod. And when, Herod, uh, excuse me, when Titus the Rome, the Roman, and the Roman soldiers came in, when they finally invaded the top of that hill, they found over a thousand Jews who had committed suicide because they were not going to be held captive by Rome. They were sick of Rome. Top right, that's the port of Caesarea. 
That's the picture of today. The ruins of the ancient port of Caesarea are back in the background. Herod the Great from Matthew chapter 2 had this built. And what that did was that enabled Israel to expand their commercial trade across the Mediterranean. It brought lots of income to that country, brought lots of income. And then the bottom right is, the, is, a, is a replica, it's not an actual picture, but is a replica of the Jewish temple that was there in Jesus' day. Okay, and what do we call that temple? Herod's temple. Why is it called Herod's temple? Because this Herod, you know, you may think, man, he, he helped them out with their worship, but he just wanted to build a name. And after he built this Jewish temple, he had it named Herod's temple, and that was what it was known as. But he, that's all he cared about. And uh, outside of these accomplishments of building these three things, he was a very wicked and cruel tyrant. Anybody that stood in his way, he would have them executed. Feeling threatened, this is from Josephus, feeling threatened, Herod had the high priest Aristobulus drown after Aristobulus had provided a huge funeral where Herod pretended to weep. And afterwards, he killed the high priest. Uh, Herod the Great, Matthew chapter 2, had his own wife, Miriam, and his mother-in-law, and three of his sons murdered because they did not follow his evil commands. Herod was a cruel, merciless, and bloodthirsty man full of darkness. And it will culminate next week in the second half of Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, with the slaughter of the innocent children in Bethlehem. But notice, uh, it says in verse 3, Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Why was he troubled? Because the Magi said, where is this king of the Jews? When they asked that question, king... Whoa, 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 wait a minute. There's only one king in our land, and that's me, Herod. And he did not like that. And notice at the end of verse 3, you got to study these passages, man. You got to dig in deep. It says, All Jerusalem, uh, it says, When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. All of Jerusalem was scared, not because of Christ, but because Herod was upset. And they knew his tyranny. So, so it scared them. It scared them to, th- to think that what could happen. So Herod the king, he was troubled. Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem were scared because they're thinking, whose life is he going to take next? Let's continue, verse 4. It says, and this is what he does. Gathering all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, when you understand the history of Herod and you understand the tenseness of what was going on in Jerusalem, I find verses 4 through 6, very, very interesting here in Matthew chapter 2. Why do I find this very interesting? Because if you look at the Gospels, all four Gospels, this has actually taken place two years after Jesus is born, okay? Okay, these, and these priests and these scribes, the religious people of the day, they are quoting Micah 5.2. But what they fail to understand is Jesus was born two years ago. 
He's, 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 Jesus has already been circumcised. He's already been dedicated at the temple. Uh, an offering's already been made on his behalf. Uh, Simeon had already prophesied over him. Jesus had been on the scene for, for two years. So these, these scribes and these Pharisees, they knew the scriptures, but they didn't know the God of the scriptures. You know, did you know this today? You can know a lot about the Bible and not know the God of the Bible. And, and what you need to understand is this. This book we're studying, the Bible, the purpose of the Bible is so that you know God. It's not so we can memorize a bunch of Bible trivia and, and, and memorize the books of the Bible and, and know all these facts and cool things about the Scriptures. The point of this book is so that you know your loving Creator and that you know the grace of God and that you walk in a personal relationship with Him. That's the purpose of this book. It's not so you can memorize ancient history and know all the cultures. You know, it's not important that you know the Greek or that you know the Hebrew or that you know Calvinism or that you know Arminianism or dispensationalism or any of the other 10,000 isms. What's important is that you know the person that the Scripture is pointing to. They knew the Scriptures. Did they know the Christ is, is, the, is the point I'm getting at. And family, you know, uh, that, that saying, you know, Christ wants to have a personal relationship with us. You know, he wants to know you and he wants you to know him. That's true. That's true. And as we study the Bible, as we study every single chapter, every single verse, everything about Scripture, remember this, that this is God saying, I want to know you intimately. Not only know my word, it's good, it's good to study all the isms, okay? It's good to wrap our minds around theology. I love it. I do it every week. But I don't forget at the end of the day, it's about knowing Jesus. Let the scriptures point your heart to Christ. Um, going back to um, these scribes and Pharisees here in verses 4 through 6, John in his gospel adds an interesting fact. He says, John says in John 1.10, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Again, let the scriptures, that's, that's the point of the Bible, is to take you to the Lord and have this awesome, amazing relationship with him. Verse 7, verse 7 says, Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time this star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. If you're one of those people that makes notes in your Bible, just make a note next to verse 8. This is the most diabolical, wicked, evil statement between Genesis and Revelation. There is no greater, darker, more wicked statement than what he says. Herod says to them, you know Herod, you know his background, you know the kind of person he is, and he tells them, uh, when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Very wicked statement. This statement is a cloak for the real mission. There is no desire to worship here. 
this is a murder plot. And Satan is in Herod, Herod the Great. He wants to kill the newborn baby Jesus that's threatening his rule and reign over Jerusalem. So this is a very evil, vile, wicked statement. I'm gonna, we're going to continue this study next week in Matthew chapter 2, but wait till you hear about the end of his life. It was, it was a, we're just, we're just starting to touch base. After today and next Sunday, you can know all about Herod because the, the text talks a lot about Herod, so I'm going to talk a lot about Herod. But one thing I want you to notice in verse 7, look at that third word. It says, then Herod secretly. That word secretly is very, very important. He does this, Herod does this in secret. He did not want people to know the evil plans in his heart. But what does God do? What does God do? He puts it on display for all to see through the pages of Scripture. So what he meant to do in secret, don't let no one know. Here we are 2,000 years after the fact, talking about it through the Scriptures. God unveils it. He, he, he shows Herod and he, and he shows the, the world that there are no secrets. No secrets can be kept from God. Absolutely nothing is hidden from God and in in from his sight. We need to understand that. That should put the fear of God in us. Nothing we do is in secret or kept from the all-seeing eyes of the Lord. Every image we view on our cell phone, every image we look at on our computer, every ungodly thought we fuel and entertain, God sees it. God sees it. So what does that truth tell us? That truth tells us to be honest with God. Be honest with God. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all of our sins. Knowing that God is all-seeing, he knows your heart. He knows your weakness. He knows your struggle. But he also knows our secret sin. And just as we should ask him for grace to help us in our struggles, at the same time, we should say, God, please forgive me. I've blown it. I've sinned against you. Please help me. Please help me. He, he sees it. He, he sees it. Listen to Luke chapter 12. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, Jesus' words in red, There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ears of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. You know, we, when we walk in deception, oh, excuse me, we walk in deception when we think we can hide our sin from God. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but a fool despises wisdom and instruction. The Scripture teaches us to repent and run from sin. Don't hide it in your heart. Don't hide it in your heart. Family, I'm preaching to myself right now too. Don't, let's don't hide it in our hearts. Let's bring it to his throne of grace and say, Lord Jesus, I struggle in this area. I'm wrestling with this area. I'm fighting against this thing. Bring it to his throne of grace. That's what grace is for. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. God says, I want to come down and help you in your struggle and help you overcome those temptations. 
I want to help you in the fight. I want to lead you to victory. But when we hide it and we, we harden our heart and keep a shell over it, it, it makes it kind of hard for God to work with that. You know, our hearts need to be open so, we, so he can show us grace and lead us. You know, um, I, I think back to my life and I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm the wretch the song refers to. If you knew my life before Christ, and, you, and, and, you, and most of you just know me from today, you'd be like, wow, and he's a pastor? That's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. The life that God delivered me from through salvation, through discipleship, through accountability, through growing and, 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 and spending time with him. He, over, the, over the seasons of my life, he gave me victory. But he gave me the victory when I got honest with him. We need to be honest with the Lord. Amen? Amen. So, <clears throat> verses 3 through 8 is the um, Herod and their cronies walking in the dark. Now let's look at walking in the light. Verse 9. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. So here it is, the moment they've been waiting for. They've studied Daniel's prophecies. No doubt, I feel confident, because Daniel was there in Babylon, they studied the Pentateuch in the, in the Old Testament. And now here they are. There was this star that led the way, this star that illuminated the path, this majestic heavenly body above. So where does this take our hearts? This takes our hearts to the heavens to consider God's sovereignty and God's control over the entire universe and every star you see out there at night. God has placed every star in the heavens with pinpoint precision, okay? He knows, God knows every single molecular structure in every single star in the universe. Every bit of dust that, that makes up the planet Mars, he knows every single molecular structure. The Bible says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night unto night they display knowledge. Do you know nighttime in a way is not really nighttime? If you think about it in a scientific Nighttime is actually the earth orbiting and every single one of us get a front row view to the universe. That's actually what nighttime is, is the, the earth's orbit. And we get to see the beautiful display of all the stars and all the planets. It all belongs to your heavenly father. The same God that loves you, cares for you, and takes care of you and watches over you. He invites you every night to step out on your porch and say, look at my glory. Look at my power. Look at, my, look at everything that's on display. It all declares his glory. I'll give you some Bible verses. Uh, Psalm 147 verse 4 says, God determines the number of the stars, and he calls them each by name. He knows them all. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 26 says, Raise your eyes on high, <clears throat> and see who has created these stars, the one who brings out their multitude by number. He calls them all by name.
because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. He is the one behind the universe. You didn't come, we didn't come about by some big bang explosion. Well, actually, there was a bang. It was God spoke and bang, it happened. But he is the creator. He is the creator of the universe. He is the creator of you. He's the creator of this earth. And, and, and here it is. Here he is for his honor and his glory. When his son is coming into the world, when light's coming into the world, he says, okay, now I'm going to use the universe. I'm going to use the stars. I'm going to use the heavens to, to, to welcome my son into the world. Let's continue. Verse 10. Verse 10 says, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced. Look at that. That's very important. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Can I just say this is walking in the light? This is, this is a product. This is a product, friends and family, of walking in the light. This, this great joy. Now, it says that when they saw the star, now we know that them following the star was leading them to who? Jesus. Okay? So when you find Christ, when you're on that pathway going towards the light of Jesus, following Christ, you will find great joy. The Bible says that Jesus is our treasure. You know what a treasure is? Treasure is that most important thing that you have in life. It's, it's that thing that, that you value the most. Okay? Jesus is our treasure. And that treasure being Christ brings us great joy in this life. You know, because of him in my life, I'm able to take my eyes off my circumstance and off the bad things that are happening in this world, maybe even some bad things happening to me. And I find my joy and my peace in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus alone, because he is great joy. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There you will find, hear me out, in your life that you live on this planet, you will find no greater joy than serving Christ. I don't care if you win the lottery. I don't care if you have a house on Lake Murray. I, I, all those things are temporal and they're fleeting and, and they're passing. But when you find Christ, you will find the greatest joy in your heart because you're in a right relationship with him. These guys found joy. We can find joy. Verse 11. All right, now let's, let's slow down here for a second. Verse 11 got to clear up some pictures in our mind of the Christmas story because a lot of the stuff that we see in the Christmas story is not biblical. Let's look at verse 11. The first one says, after coming into the what? The house. It doesn't say nothing about a barn. Don't say nothing about a cave. I'm just throwing it out there. Don't, don't, don't throw rocks at me. Don't say nothing about a stable. Uh, they saw the child. The child. It says the child, not a, new, not a baby, not a newborn. Based on uh, scholarly reviews and textual comparisons, Jesus is likely two years old here in Matthew chapter 2. And it says, with Mary, his mother, <clears throat> they fell on the ground and they worshiped him. Again, the Magi are following the light and they come to where Jesus is. And what does it say? They worshiped him. Proskuneo. This is true salvation. 
when you search with all your heart and you find him, you will lay your life down. Proskuneo is a Greek word. It means to fall upon your knees and touch your head to the ground. See, friends, that's salvation. That's salvation. You lay your life down at the cross. You lay your life down. You come by faith to Christ at the cross, and you say, Lord Jesus, I lay my life down. I I, I lay my life down for you. And then your desire to live in sin and darkness will be crushed as Christ comes to life in you. That is walking in the light. That is worshiping. After coming to the house, they saw the child, his mother Mary, and they fell to the ground and they worshiped him. Think about this. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans chapter 10. They, they, heard the, they heard the words of the prophet Isaiah. Their hearts burned within them. They knew the word of God was true. And they traveled all the way from Babylon to Bethlehem. And then their eyes behold the one the prophets spoke about. And they experienced salvation. They, they bowed before the Lord Jesus Christ. They bowed before him in, in adoration, in worship. It was an amazing event. It had to have been in that house. Verse 11 continues. Let's look at the second half of the verse. It says, Then opening their treasures, they presented, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, these pictures, these three gifts, a lot has been said about them at Christmas. And I agree with most everything I hear. But the thing that, that they all summarize in their, in their summary of these three gifts is that these three gifts that was presented to baby Jesus, they are a picture. They are a prophetic picture of Jesus' life. They are a perfect picture of Jesus' life. And for us today, when you walk in the light, you will understand the significance of each gift. Let's look at them. The first treasure is gold. The first, excuse me, the first gift. The first gift that's presented is gold. Gold is a picture of Christ's deity, of his kingship. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's when we understand his deity. And what, do, what is Romans 10, 9? If you confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord. You know, the Christian life is about proclaiming his deity. When we say Jesus is Lord, that's not just some title. That's saying you're the curios, you're the Lord God Almighty, you're the supreme ruler of the universe, but not only the supreme ruler of the universe, but you're the supreme ruler of my life. I bow my heart and I bow my will to you, King Jesus, as Lord, represented by gold. Secondly, the second gift that was presented to him, frankincense. This is a perfume. This is a perfume. And Jesus is the fragrance of heaven. Jesus is the fragrance of heaven. He is the sinless lamb of God. He never sinned. He was pure. He was perfect. He was holy. He was the aroma of heaven. You know, heaven, let me see if I can say this right. Heaven is not heaven because it's heaven. Okay? Did I lose you? I think I might have lost myself. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. Jesus is what makes heaven heaven because he is the fragrance. He is the perfume of heaven. 
It's being in his glorious presence. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the streets of gold and the river and, the, and all the beautiful things of heaven. But the most important thing I'll be looking forward to is seeing the fragrance of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our, he is, he is our representative to the Father in heaven. The third gift in verse 11 is mirror. This is a bitter herb. The, the myrrh, the bitter herb, is a picture of Jesus' suffering, his sacrifice, and his death. And we, you and I look at the myrrh in our Christian faith, and we look at Jesus, and we understand he was the sacrifice. That the wrath, he bore the wrath of God at Calvary for our sin. He paid the price. He was pure. He was perfect. He was holy. He was out without sin. But Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In his love, the pure, perfect, sinless Lamb of God said, I will pay the price, and I will die on the cross. I will uh, incur the wrath of God so that they don't have to. That's what it means when we say Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took the punishment for our sin. He died in our place. And that's, that's the, the myrrh, the bitter herb. He went through a lot. You know, that movie, The Passion, they did a wonderful job of talking about the, uh, and displaying the suffering. After I watched that movie, there was some of the scenes I was like, what, really? I had to go back and study my Bible and look in the New Testament Gospels. But yeah, he went through a lot. He got blindsided had a bag put over his head, and they just punched him in the face. He was shredded, crucified, crown of thorns. He went through a lot. He suffered greatly so that you and I could have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. He suffered in our place. He loves you that much. He loves you that much. You know, whenever a little, ch a little child uh, goes to mom and dad and says, Mommy, Daddy, how much do you love me? What do we do? What do we tell our kids? Well, a lot of times what we'll do, we'll stretch out our arms and say, I love you this much. I love you this much. That's what we tell our kids. God says to us, I love you this much that I will stretch out my arms. And he did stretch out his arms on a cross to pay the price for our sin. So these are a prophetic picture. And not only that, another thing that doesn't get talked about a lot is, let's keep in mind, Joseph and Mary were poor. Joseph and Mary were very poor people. And this is also a way that God provided for them, bringing them uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So not only is it a picture of Jesus, but it's a picture of our awesome God taking care of Joseph and Mary. Let's finish it up, verse 12 this morning. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. The Magi, they had encountered God. They had stepped out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land the light will shine upon them. Again, I go back to the thesis of my opening of my teaching this morning, and that is this. If you believe and trust in Christ, 
you are living in the light. If you ignore, reject, or do not trust in Christ, you are in darkness. You say, Pastor David, I, I, I take it most of you guys are, are walking in the light and you're trusting in Christ. And I praise the Lord for that. But if there be any one person here this morning that's not trusting in Christ, that you say, man, you know what? I think I'm walking in darkness. Or maybe you're watching online and you say, man, I, I think I'm walking in darkness. How do I step out of darkness into the light? Put your trust in Christ. Put your trust in Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you. Please forgive me of my sin. Please come into my life. I put my trust in you. And the moment you do that, in, 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 with an authentic heart, not, not, being, not being fake, not just trying to be religious, but when you honestly, from the depths of your soul, say, Lord Jesus, I understand I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. He will do that at that very moment. He will come into your life, and you can begin this new relationship of walking in the light and not walking in darkness. That's what he offers us. That's what he offers us. He offers the world forgiveness of sin, a new heart, and to walk in the light. I do not like walking in darkness, and I hope you don't either. Let's continue you continue, friends and family, to serve Christ, believe in Christ, trust in Christ, and walk in his light. Love you guys. Hope you've been blessed by this teaching. Don't be like the Herod family. <laughs> Don't be filled with darkness and follow the ways of the world and, and murder people and hate people. We're going to see more. Wait till I tell you about his death. It, it, it's rough. But don't be like those be like the Magi. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to follow your word. I'm going to follow your word just like the Magi did. And I'm going to let your word take me to you in my serving you. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Father, thank you for Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And God, I thank you, Lord, that for those that are trusting in you, they have confidence and they know that they're walking in the light. And Father, for those who may not know you, who are honest and saying, you know, I think I'm walking in darkness, I pray, Lord, that you'll give them the ability this morning to call upon your name, to call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord, please forgive me of my sin. Please open my heart to the truth that Pastor David's talked about this morning. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you, Lord, that we are walking in the light as we trust you and believe you. In Jesus' name I pray, Father.